Hey, this is Stan Gibbons, the lead pastor of Northside Bible Church. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. We hope this strengthens and inspires you. We want to encourage you in your relationship with Christ. If there's anything we can do, please reach out to us at northsidemobile.org or you can message us on Facebook and Twitter. Enjoy the sermon. So we're going to be in the book of Galatians today. And we're going to be talking about <clears throat> what it looks like to be a person of grace. If grace is part of your life, there's a look you're supposed to have. Um, I was really struggling for an opening help, uh, an opening concept to help you see some of this. So I reached out to my very brilliant, though very silly friend, uh, Colin, for some help. And uh, came up, he came up with a good picture for you. If, you. if you were to meet a young man that just joined the Marine Corps, maybe he's 19, 18, 19, even 20 years old, but he just joined the Marine Corps, and you ask him, what, what does he do? What does he do for a living? What do you do? Uh, he would likely tell you something like this. Well, I just joined the Marine Corps. I am a... Right. But that first sentence is really the issue. I just joined the Marine Corps. And I am a, if you meet him 15 months later or 15 years later and you ask him, what do you do? What's his sentence going to be now? I am a, that little first part goes away. Got a little bit of training, a little bit of training, huh? a whole lot of training, a whole lot of training camps, a whole lot of special ops camps and serving and uh, possibly being put into combat zones or at least very intense places in his life. At some point, he's going to stop saying, I signed up, right? I joined. He's just going to be. He's going to be the Marine that he is. And my understanding is you never talk about a former Marine, right? That's a terrible thing to say to a Marine. Matter of fact, they'll slap you or worse. Um, because there's no such thing. Once a Marine, always a you know why? Because it's ingrained in them now. Once they took their, once they understood their oath and their commitment and their calling into it, and they took their uh, tr- training and processing, now they are. That's just who they are. In fact, in fact, if you ask a seasoned Marine, long-term hardcore guy who you are, uh, what's your name? He may simply say, I'm a Marine. And he may give his title with his Marine Corps title in front of it, just as his name. That's part of his name now. He's become so identified with that. Well, grace is supposed to be like that for us. Grace is our calling from the Lord into something way more beautiful. You were testifying of it just a few minutes ago. The beauty that grace has called you into, the things that God has done for you. The Bible is very clear in Ephesians chapter 2. This is not going to be on your screen. Um, so if you've taken uh, notes, um, you're welcome to... to uh, Jot that down. By the way, did everybody get a handout that needed a handout? Some of you may not care about it at all. They might need one that doesn't have one because I can get Josh to run and make copies. You good? Nobody wants Josh to have to work. I do, but it's okay. <clears throat> so the Bible is clear in Ephesians chapter 2. I read it this morning. We're saved by grace, right? Saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. Second Corinthians says in chapter 12, we're strengthened by grace. Grace actually strengthens you. If you'll study it, learn it, live it, been Sunday school class promotion. If you'll study, learn, and live it in Ben Sunday school class, you'll actually get stronger in your faith. I'm trying to push all the guys into that class because it's really good. Hebrews says that we're sustained by grace. 
You can actually come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in your time of need. So when you have need of something, he will sustain you at the throne of Yes, grace sustains me. And then Titus 2, I read to you this morning, says we're students of grace. We actually are trained to deny ungodliness and pursue righteousness. We're trained by God in, in grace. Grace instructs us to deny ungodliness and pursue righteousness. We sing a song, uh, I think it's in the song, Holy Water, that says, I don't want to abuse your grace. Um, God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that makes me not want to sin. It's the only thing that keeps me looking towards you. That's Titus chapter two, verse 11. If you need a reference for that, where grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. It says, God, your love was so strong for me. Your willingness to cover all my sins and, and be sacrificed on my behalf while you're pure and holy, you took all my ugly sin upon you. That means, that means that I want to be, I want to deny. impact and this influence over our daily lives such that it eventually defines your life. You're a person of grace. You're a member of the body of Christ and a person of grace. Grace is everything about you. In fact, if you live under grace long enough, it's supposed to ooze out of everything you do, your, your language. Colossians says, let your speech be seasoned with grace. Well, how's that going to happen? I've got to saturate myself like a sponge. I got to get up inside that grace and, and soak it in. Grace is supposed to have that kind of impact. As Christians, we're to be so saturated with the message of Christ, so overwhelmed by his love and his grace that when we simply mention his name, which when you read Paul's writings, when he comes across the name of Christ, he can't help but tell you about the work of salvation, the mercy, the grace, the sacrifice of Christ. When you mention, when somebody mentions the name of Christ, it should just automatically log up into your mind and punch out of your lips to say, oh yeah, um, the, you, you mean Christ, the one who gave his life for me, who showed me mercy, who showed me grace, who showed me a sweet sacrifice? The family of God is supposed to just echo grace all the time. Um, the family of God is all about being part of his grace and nothing else in life is really worth sharing. Now, I love sharing pictures of my Grandson, be happy to show you some. I didn't bring him today. I know y'all thought I was going to do that. <clears throat> I don't mind sharing that. But it means nothing eternally to wear you out with pictures of little Everett. Okay? Huge blessing for me, by the way. Might even make some of you smile. Right? Not eternal, though. You know what is eternal? Grace. When you share the message of grace, when you let it flow from you, it changes everything. And the gospel of grace is what Galatians, the book of Galatians, is all about. The the book of Galatians was written to a number of churches. It's a region. Galatians isn't a church. Ephesus is a church. Philippi is a specific church. Galatian, the, the church at churches, if you look at the very first verse, the churches, plural, in the region of Galatian, be like saying in the area of Sims or South Mobile or North Mobile or whatever, West Mobile, it's, a, it's an area. Galatians is an area that Paul wrote back to multiple churches that were being bombarded after he preached the gospel of grace. Some people came in behind him to tear that structure back down and say, you're not saved by grace, you're saved by the kindness and mercy of God, plus all that you do to work your way into heaven. And Paul was like, that ain't, that ain't good on my watch. I'm gonna fix that real quick. So he sends this letter and it's called the, the book of Galatians. We have it. So let me just hit a couple of quick highlights with you. Look at verse uh, 
I'm going to get your help, by the way. If you have a physical Bible today or a good printed Bible, you can, a good Bible you can see, I'm going to call on you to read some verses with me. Galatians chapter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5. It's real short, but somebody read those for me out loud, confidently. 1, 3, 4, and 5. Praise be to you, and peace from God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. gave himself for our sins, that we might be for us, according to the will of God and the Father. Let him be glory forever and ever. Here's Paul's summary of the gospel in Galatians. He has one in 1 Corinthians 15. He also has one here. He says, here's what, here's what grace is. It's when the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins, so that he might, yours says, uh, deliver, and it's strong, even stronger, really, it's the word rescue. He might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. So how many of you know that the evil age today, the culture around us, how many of you know that the evil age is creeping in to destroy you? How many of you figured that out by now? Lots of it happening. Lots of it. It bombards you, doesn't it? Well, guess who the rescue from that is? He wants to rescue that, rescue you from that by his grace. He gave himself to do that. He gave himself for your sins to pay for them according to who? According to God's will, who will be glory for honor, or who will be the glory forevermore. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who gave himself to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. And Paul's teaching the Galatians anything but the pure gospel is a problem. See, there's a distorted gospel going around his area. And so he's trying to help them understand if you don't see it that way, if you don't see the rescue being God and God alone, Jesus and Jesus alone, and you and you alone are rescued. And there's nothing you can do except be rescued, by the way. I used to teach this. I was a very bad teacher. I used to teach this. uh, I even did it a a few years ago here. And I showed these cool videos, really cool videos that are Coast Guard, actual Coast Guard rescues of Coast Guard rescuing people that were drowning and their boat had turned over and they're hanging on to something that's floating and they're getting rescued. Um, and, you know, they're pulling them into the copter. Some of them, at times they're having to actually, you know, breathe life back into them into, in the helicopter. Um, but they're rescuing them from the water. And I had a pastor challenge me one time, a good friend uh, named Paul, challenged me one time and said, that's not the picture you need. That's the wrong picture. And I went, no, it says rescued. And he goes, yeah, you're thinking of a helicopter. He goes, Jesus found us on the bottom of the ocean because Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Our boat flipped over a long time ago in the, in the ocean of sin. Our boat flipped over in the ocean of sin and sin consumed us and drowned us and took us to the very bottom. And we were, we were dead, no life in us. When he found us and pulled us out of, right, he rescued us out of darkness into his glorious light. So it was a really much better picture for me. But anything but that pure gospel. So chapter two of Galatians gives five proofs for the purity of Paul's gospel message. People are trying to, to distort his message. And Paul says, let me tell you who, how, how my message came to be. And he gives five proofs, not going to go through those with you, but they're online way back in an old series we did called uh, No Other Gospel. So way back there, got a thumbs up from the guy that put that up there for me. So, but it concludes, chapter 2 concludes with this powerful truth. Somebody read 2.20 out loud for me. Yeah, I'm crucified with Christ. Paul's saying, hey, I died when he died. This is a really strange verse. I'm crucified, but I'm alive. I died, but I'm alive. And the life which I now live, I live in him. 
right? So there's this incredible, beautiful uh, passage where Paul says, uh, tells us that our lives are overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly controlled by the grace of God. His grace saved us and brought us back to life. Chapter three, Paul says, um, I love chapter three's beginning, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Um, you're a bunch of crazy people to think you can work your way into heaven. To think you can earn this is out of your mind. Why, why would Jesus, why would God let his son Jesus die if you can earn yourself back into heaven? Ridiculous idea. But we all sort of get hung up on that sometimes. And you know a bunch of people that are trying to earn themselves back in heaven. They're making church attendance a, a thing. They're making just being kind to somebody being a thing like it's earning them into heaven. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven whereby you can be saved but through Jesus. And chapter 3 is all about the fact that the, the Galatians need to remember that um, we're all part of Abraham's family. We're adopted into the, the family of Abraham and that God's keeping his promise to Abraham and putting all of us, even Gentiles, into that one family unit and saying, I'm going to take care of all of you. So, And then chapter um, 5 is where I want us to get to today. So we're going to do 5 and 6 because all of that is pre- precursor to tell you if you embrace grace and you get grace... I just like to say it that way. If, if you get it, you get it. If you get it, like I really do get this. I'm trying hard. By the way, it's a big thing to get. It's not a little thing, right? It's, it's chemistry. It's hard for me to get chemistry, but I don't get chemistry most of the time. And I'll tell you why. When the, when the guy in the chemistry class when I was in high school said, this is called a gram mole. Y'all remember that in chemistry class, some of you? A gram mole. You know what my country boy brain did? I now made it a biology class. There's a mole. Somehow that's a mole. It doesn't look like a mole. It looks like a thing. But it's my brain could not get mole out of its head. And so chemistry was very hard for me for the entire time I was in there. But grace is, is beautiful, and he promises to saturate you with it if you'll just live in it. So I want to show you six evidences of grace. This would be like a test for you today. If I'm really getting grace and have evidence grace in my life, here's what it would look like. Chapter 5, verse 13. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, I'm free. Um, he set me free from the law of sin and death, and, and uh, I can stand in that freedom, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free, chapter 5, verse 1. But I want you to pick up at 5, verse 13, and see one of these evidences. Verse 13 out loud, somebody? Yeah, so here's the, here's the literal terms in this text. If, if I get grace... I get it, then I will literally enslave myself to love others. I will literally enslave myself to serve others. Not just, not just want to do it because it feels good like to go out on a weekend and help. We had some great helpers this weekend. I'm not saying y'all didn't do that right. But I'm saying you can join something for fun. Oh, yeah, I'll go help do that. I'll go help a work day or a witnessing time or whatever. But it's, it's just you kind of ta- attach to that for fun, Right. And you might even want to attach to it in your mind. Your, your motive is to be able to mark off that you did something good. That's not what this text is saying. If I love my liberty in Christ that, I, that, that came through the cross, if I love grace, I'm enslaved to be a doulos is the term. The, term, the Greek term is a doulos, which is a, a slave of the lowest possible um, social status there is. A, a doulos slave, you've heard me say this many times, a doulos, which is in this Greek text, 5.13 is the, the word serve is doulos. And a doulos slave was not counted in a census. If they knocked on your door, then we need to know how many people are here so we can tax you. 
If you had five people in your house that were considered doulos slaves, there's multiple levels of slaves in the time of Christ, but a doulos slave was not counted. He's like the cattle or the dog or the cat. He just, he's just part of the stuff that's there. And by the way, this is what Jesus calls us to, to be of no account. I don't need anything to count for me, and I don't need you to count me. I just need to be serving you by love. That's what it looks like to be a person of grace. When you're a person of grace, my life no longer is about me, but it's about blessing others and about blessing, blessing God through blessing others. My life's no longer about me. Now, you can find people like that. They're growing in their faith. When you find a man or woman like that, you need to affirm them. That's always good. But you also need to ask, can you walk with them for a while? Can we just walk together for a little bit and learn? I'd like to learn how you do that. I'd like to learn more about being a person of grace. Because grace is something I want to be saturated with like a sponge, right? So 5.16 says, I will enslave myself for others. If I get grace, I will enslave myself. That's a picture of grace in a person's life. 5.16, somebody read that one out loud for me. Yeah, so if I'm a person of grace, if I get grace, I walk by the capital S, Holy Spirit. I let the Holy Spirit be my leader. That, that analogy I gave you at the beginning of the Marine, right? There's a code and there's a set of guidelines and rules and training that he walks by. And he's not going outside that or, or he's not a Marine. They actually can, you know, take away, dishonorably discharge the Marine that doesn't do that. You have a code that goes with your grace and it's, I'm going to be led by the Spirit of God. I'm no longer going to be led by my flesh this passage is about the, the works of the flesh and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be led by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be led by the help of the Holy Spirit. And when there's a conflict between my flesh and the Spirit, I'm going to choose Spirit because I'm a grace-based person and I want to bear fruit. And fruit comes out of not my flesh, but out of the Spirit. So the works of the flesh are selfish and the fruit of the Spirit is beautiful love. Once again, we're back to serving others by love. So I will walk by the Spirit. First of all, we said um, you would enslave yourself to love others. Then we said if you're a true follower of grace, if grace is saturating your life and you're trying so hard to live up to and for the grace of God, not yourself, you're going to walk by the Spirit. Well, if you put 13 and 16 together, sort of combine them, it means I'll let God through the Spirit interrupt my day. It means I'll have some plans and I may have plans to, to help or to do something for myself or my whatever's happening, but God may interrupt my day because I'm now being led by who? The Spirit. See, most days we get up and we're led by who? Us. We have our own plans. We have plans. By the way, God's not mad at your plans. He doesn't dislike your plans. He just may need to interrupt your plans if your plans don't include something of His works. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, we were saved by grace through faith and for good works that He's prepared beforehand. So he may need you to talk to the person in the grocery line behind you that's grumbling and complaining. He may want to interrupt your busy day because like me, I'm a task person. I'm a, I'm a task-oriented person. When I go to the grocery store, I got what I want. I'm in the line, in the shortest line, and I'm out the door. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm not trying to be mean. I just got things to do and places to go. But all of a sudden, you know, there's this little lady trying to put something in her car that doesn't fit. You know, and I'm sitting there with my truck, you know, at Walmart going, ma'am, that's never going to fit in there. You know, you know that's never going to fit in there. 
and that box is way too big. And she's like, I, I'm learning that now. I didn't think this through. And I said, where do you live? She said, oh, I live in Midtown. I'm like, why are you shopping on Schillinger's Road if you live in Midtown? <laughs> you could have you done a lot of, you know. But then the Lord says, you know, just cut part of your day, your day, and get that, you know, box or whatever that was from the garden center to her house. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ma'am, would you trust me to put it in my truck bed and just follow you? I mean, I'll, you know, leave you my watch or something so you can take it with you and I'll chase you down to get my watch back. I'm not going to, I'm not going to leave with your stuff, right? So it's literally just an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to interrupt your day. And I want to just encourage you guys, be willing to let the Holy Spirit interrupt when the Holy Spirit can interrupt. Amen? 6 verse 1, chapter 6. Pay attention to the Spirit's leading. Here's another marker, chapter 6 verse 1. Somebody read chapter 6, verse 1. Yeah, so I will restore, if I'm a person of grace, man, Northside, y'all got to get this one real clear for me. I will restore a fallen brother, not in condemnation, not in judgment, not in shame. I'll just pick him up and carry him for a little while, and I'll restore him. You who are walking with the Lord in spiritual sense, Restore such a one. By the way, the word caught in my translation, I think yours is the same as mine. Grant, uh, the word caught means ambushed. It's a, it's a, a, a Roman soldier term. Paul loves the Roman soldier life. And it's a word that means to be caught from behind. I don't like that verse, by the way, because it means sin can sneak up behind you and you never saw it coming. Anybody feel like sin snuck up behind you and you never saw it coming? Like, where did that come from? Right? Well, when you fall into sin, if you're ambushed by sin and it catches you, there should be brothers and sisters around you because you've put yourself into a place where they can be. You haven't isolated yourself. There should be brothers and sisters around you that can come alongside you and say, man, you, you got caught by the enemy, didn't you? You're, hey, come back. Come with us. Let us help you. Let us walk you back down the path where we are walking. Right? As if you're a follower of Christ, you're supposed to rescue the fallen. Here's a warning. You can't rescue some fallen person that you are going to struggle with what they fell into, which is what the verse says. You should don't if, if you're tempted into that same thing, you can't go get them out of the mess they're in. You have to send somebody that can. But you can pray them there, help them get there, and as soon as they're out, you become their best friend, man. You're right, I'm right here with you. That's what it means to be a true follower of Christ. I care about fallen believers. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And they're falling all the time. I'm sorry to say that, but we fall all the time, don't we? James, 1, James chapter 3, verse 1, we all stumble in many ways. That's the half-brother of Jesus who was appointed as the, the leader of the church at Jerusalem, first whatever church of Jerusalem, first Bible church of Jerusalem, um, because after Jesus died, not before, he became a devoted follower of Christ. When he saw his brother raised from the dead, he's like, wait a minute, something's serious here. I thought that kid was messing with me his whole life. Now he's, he's the real deal, right? I'm sure his mother had part of that. I'm sure Mary got all over Big James, right, for being an idiot for most of his life. But James becomes the leader of a giant church in Jerusalem that's scattered by, its, by, by um, the, the torture and the abuse that's happening through Rome and through the, through the Jews. And here's what James says. We all stumble in many ways, all of us. Everybody in this room sins, amen? I don't want to sin. I really want to overcome sin. I want to be saturated with grace so that, so that grace teaches me to deny the ungodliness and live righteously. But 
We all stumble in many ways. So when a person stumbles, you know what they need? Body of Christ, friends. They need people that will come around them and say, I want to help restore you as a fallen Christian. Uh, the restore means to mend the brokenness, to mend the brokenness. Um, it's, it was a word that was used of doctors who mended bones and fishermen who mended their nets. I'm going to just put it all back together, right? Some of you have a friend right now that's fallen, that's broken, and you need to figure out how to help them. And if it can't be you, you need to find people that it can be and keep sending and trusting God to help you with that. So I'm going to not only restore the fallen Christian, but verse 2 says, somebody read 6 verse 2. Yes, the second thing I'm going to do, saturated in that grace and carrying somebody's sins or helping somebody that's fallen into sin, I'm also going to bear their burdens. Everybody in here has burdens. Burden, Paul's again using military terms, right? He's talking about about the army of Rome, and they carry these packs, these heavy packs. But some soldiers have to carry a pack that has too much in it like, like the soldiers that carry the mortar rounds and those little tubes, what are they called? There you go, mortar rounds. But that, is that tube called a mortar? Long, yeah. So the launcher, you got the base plate and all that stuff. That's too heavy for one guy to carry plus his own stuff. So you know what they do? They divide it up being several guys. Some guys carry the ammunition. Some guys carry the tubes. Some guys carry the base. And that's the picture of this word, by, by the way. Um, you're to bear one another's burdens that they can't carry because they're too big. Meaning... If we take this literal, everybody in this room is eventually going to have a burden too big for you to carry. Don't you be so proud you don't ask for help. Don't do it. Pastor Dan's done it. He was an idiot. Okay? Don't do that. If you have a heavy burden, you call people. Man, I've been weighted down for the last several days on something really heavy, and I've wore out my phone just calling in my brothers in, in the faith, pastors and mentors. I actually made an appointment this morning with a mentor here in town that's going to meet with me either this afternoon or tomorrow and help me. I just got some stuff I've got to work through in my head, and it's a heavy burden. I don't have to carry it by myself. It's so awesome. All I had to do was text them a day and go, hey, what are you doing Monday? What do you need? Help. <laughs> I just put help. And they said, available, just tell me when. I'm like, that's awesome, right? So the truth is we are to bear each other's burdens. So grace-believing, Christ-following, uh, Christ-followers are going to take serious the mission to restore ambush sinners and to carry the burdens of fellow sinners. You know what it means you got to know? Some people in your life that are Christians. you got to have a, a network friend, of a band of Christians that you're circled up with so when they walk into your Bible study or your Sunday school class or your home uh, or Wednesday night prayer time, you can look at them and go, hmm, is he carry, is, did he look like he was discouraged? He looked a little discouraged. I should ask him, are you okay? You got a burden? If you're if you're bare if if it's heavy, I mean I'm not real strong, but if it's heavy, I could carry some of it. Just I'll carry a little. Maybe we'll find another friend who'll carry the rest. But you don't have to carry it by yourself, guys. If 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 you're saturated with the grace of Christ, if grace means that much to you, you don't live in your little bubble when you walk into the body of Christ or into your home or into Walmart. You don't live in a little bubble. That you're afraid to look and see the burdens other people are carrying. You actually have enough grace that you can go, hey, if you need some grace, I'll share some of mine. I got more grace than I can stand. Right? Paul actually, Jesus actually tells, or Paul actually says it this way to Timothy, grace was more than abundant to me. It means more than I needed. 
Grace is more than you need, which is why you can share it, which is why you should pay attention to people that are in need and look around you. Don't get in a little bubble that's all about you. That's selfishness, which ruins the first two we talked about. So verse 7 through 10. Would somebody read that one out loud for me? 7 through 10. So if all that grace that's talked about in chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 and part of 5 is applied to me, I will sow spiritual seeds of grace and love everywhere I go. I will be a sower of grace, a sower of truth, but a sower of grace and a sower of love. Uh, and God can't be mocked. <laughs> Paul's very, I love how Paul just goes, let's make this real clear. You can't pretend to be a sower of grace. He's not going to be mocked by your fake grace or your fake efforts to love somebody. It has to be sincere. You're going to reap what you sow. There's a spiritual principle here that's real strong. I'll let you guys meditate on that sometime. But, but one day, God's going to set everything just and right. So if you're just pretending to love your neighbors, pretending to love your church family, pretending to be a grace seeker, it's going to show up one day. Not a good day, by the way, when that happens. But God, you cannot reap what you don't sow. And if you want grace and burden-bearing to come to you, if you want people to help you carry your burdens, you better start carrying somebody else's burden. You better live out what you're taught to do in the Scriptures. You'll reap more from God, the God of grace, than you sow. You will reap more from God than what you sow. So Colton's our, my favorite farmer that I know, right? Uh, Ryan's upstairs, but he's a farmer. So Colton, if I, take a, um, if I take a kernel of corn, one seed from corn, and I plant it in richly prepared soil by you, and you nurture it, I watch you love on that garden every morning out to mission, okay? But, but as, you, as you care for that one seed... One seed. Does it, does it give you back one kernel? Like you're gonna, the stalk's going to come up and go, hey, there's our kernel. I'm going to put that in a pot. Yeah, not, not just a little more, is it? Like an ear of corn. I looked this up on Google one time. I don't remember the number. But, but an ear of corn has a whole bunch of those on it. Doesn't it? Huh? Is it a thousand? Yeah. And then you got ears of corn and ears of corn and ears of corn. One good stalk, if, if you see Colton's garden, one good stalk produces tons of corn from what? One. Right. So if I can just sow a little bit of grace, a little bit of grace, what am I going to reap? A lot of grace. <laughs> you know, it's what, it's what the text is telling you to do. Please be somebody that sows a lot of grace, a lot of grace. Sow good seeds for a long time, by the way. Sowing is a wearisome deal. When, when the Bible talks about sowing, it's not like, oh, yeah, I can do that. It's not like your little uh, experiment in kindergarten where the teacher gives you a cup. You put it in there, you go, there it is. I'm done sowing today. Sowing, sowing like he's talking about is hard. It's out in the heat of the day. It's plowing up the soil. It's making room for things to grow. It's getting stumps out of the way. Sowing in the Scriptures was a serious hard work. But if you'll sow and plant just one or two seeds where you sow, and one or two more and one or two more, pretty soon you're not going to reap just one or two seeds. You're not going to end up with four kernels of corn from four stalks. You're going to end up with plenty of corn for you and everybody you can share it with. That's the picture. So I will sow spiritual seeds of grace and love. And then lastly, if I'm a person of grace, 614, my life verse. Somebody read 614 out loud for me. So, so if I'm a person of grace, there's only one thing to exalt. There's only one thing to lift up, and it's where the grace came from. It's the source of all grace that you've ever received. I cannot boast in any works of flesh. I can't boast in anything I do or did. Anything I do that's good came from the source 
of grace, which is the cross of Christ, which is what I've done. So I can't boast in mission works or act of kindness. I can tell you about them as testimony to his grace, as testimony to his cross. If you helped serve yesterday at Chickasaw or you did some witnessing or sharing yesterday, praise almighty God. It wasn't you. It was the cross that made that possible and his grace to you. So you can tell somebody about it, but don't do it as a boast. Do it as a, you're not going to believe what God did for me. That's how we talk about things. We say it's all through his cross. You have nothing of good. Everything you have that's good came because of the cross. Every fun thing, every good thing, every little giggle that you've ever giggled, every friend you've ever had, every kindness you've ever had, every smile, every gift, every good thing you've ever tasted, every good thing you've ever experienced, every bit of joy in your life is because of one event in history. Because Jesus said, I don't want my children to not have good. And sin separates me from them, but the death on the cross will re-reconcile us, will reunite us together. So I'm going to die on the cross to pay for their sins so they can have good again. Surely goodness and love and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You're going to literally be with Him. So it's not works and it's not your flesh that you boast in. It's always boasting in Him. You have to exalt the cross and speak highly of it often. If you are a grace-based person, a person saturated with grace, and you're letting grace take control of your life as you should, like a good Marine that just knows, man, it's just I'm just a Marine. That's what I am. I'm a grace-based person. Then you exalt the cross, you speak highly of it, and you tell everybody you can what Jesus did for you on the cross. When we understand Jesus and grace to us, It makes us cross-centered, spirit-led servants of Christ. Listen, just test yourself. Cross-centered, spirit-led servants of Jesus Christ. Not servants of Stan, not servants of you, servants of Christ. If grace saturates you, and if you'll... So, Pastor Dan, how do I let grace saturate me? I would tell you that you need to read a lot about the cross a lot. You need to spend a ton of time understanding and studying the cross of Christ, what it means, not just theologically, but that's very important, what it meant physically to him, what it meant emotionally to him, to his disciples. Look at all the disciples and how they interact with him at it. Just get into the cross and read everything you can get about the cross. Buy or borrow or take one of our old hymnals and read all the verses about the cross in the hymnal. Find every verse, every every song you can about the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my Lord. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my Lord. There's a verse that says, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Were the whole realm of nature mine, the whole realm, if I had planets beyond planets full of diamonds, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. 
That's an old hymn called, it's my favorite hymn, called When I Survey the Wonders Cross. Just look up a hymn and read it and begin to digest the truth of the cross and you will become more and more saturated in grace. Amen?